Welcome into Locked On Nets. On today's show, I talk with Gavin Shaw, the former co-host of Locked On Nets, the current co-host of Locked On Knicks. We talk about James Dolan's recent lawsuit. We draft players from the Knicks and the Nets. And Gavin gives me a little bit of rapid-fire questions, all that and more, coming up on Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am your host, Gavin Shaw. Not across the river, not Alex Wolf. In fact, uptown, uh, sort of uh, far east, is Marcus Barahal, a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and uh, now a host of Locked On Nets, a job that he did not get because of nepotism. It was purely on his own merits. So, Marcus, <laughs> I congratulate you on that, and I welcome you into the uh, Locked On Knicks podcast. And it should be noted, Marcus, not only uh, do you have the honor of being uh, a good friend of mine, but you also uh, used to work at the NBA. Uh, you interned for Around the Horn. Uh, a video exists of Tony Reale congratulating you on getting it <laughs> there, which is, is to this day is my favorite video ever. So uh, you are you you are worthy of being on this podcast, despite my derision. You know, I, I appreciate you leading with the, the nepotism part before yeah. uh, putting any of my <laughs> professional accomplishments out there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's true. It's true, though. Uh, I'll cop to it. Uh, shout out to you for leaving the Nets podcast, opening up a spot for me to co-host with our other friend, Josh. So uh, much appreciated in that respect. And I think I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my, my very favorite part about that is, is Josh could not escape co-hosting with the Knicks fan which I think is, is just, the, it's, it's kind of uh, his, his layer of uh, Dante's Inferno, I would well, say. Well, I mean, it, like, if you're going to host a podcast in New York, it's kind of hard not to co-host it with a Knicks fan, just like pure numbers-wise. Statistically, yeah. All right, uh, without further ado, because this is a Knicks podcast, uh, we need to uh, shit on James Dolan a little bit, and that <laughs> is going to be uh, our, our first stop on this edition of Locked on Knicks. And it, it's easy when stuff like this happens. So uh, I'm not quite sure I had the initial report, but I pulled it from a New York uh, Post article. Essentially, um, Madison Square Garden's shareholders are suing James Dolan because he is paying himself too much and doing too little, which is just, uh, just makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read you. Oh, you might hear some screaming, by the way. I'm, I'm recording <laughs> basement of my building and there is some uh some uh some background noise i'm excited uh, for this audio to be used in season three of serial so yeah i think that's that's a dog not not a human being tortured so uh that's that's something anyways uh clearly a knicks fan uh who heard the villain name all right so I'm, I'm just gonna throw some quotes out there and feel free to react or not react to them as we go through all right first one madison square garden ceo james dolan is paying himself way too much money for a job he's barely doing a lawsuit filed on behalf of his shareholders claims Okay, so the the thing about that is, like, if this were anyone other than James Dolan, I'd be like, you know what, shout out to you, you're you're putting in as little work as you can for as much money as you can, and in our society, you know, that's a, that's a great thing, but the fact that it is James Dolan, and we know what he is spending his time on, which is uh, his, his band, which is fine, um, <laughs> that's, it's kind of like a, a dig at, at Knicks fans who maybe thought that he was trying to uh, turn the team around and maybe the most important offseason since 2010. So uh, definitely a shot at Knicks fans. Yeah. Uh, but again, in line with his character. All right. Yeah, we'll keep for moving sure. on. 
All right. Over the last three years, MSG paid Dolan $75.6 million. That's a heap more than CEOs at similar companies who made an average of, and the poor CEOs here, $17 million for the same period, the lawsuit claims. So Dolan is not only, I mean, enriching himself on the normal um, obscene scale that a CEO um, enriches himself, which again, I'm sure in some situations is, I mean, you could uh, kind of argue is, is warranted based on the amount. Yeah, we don't of- need to get into that. <laughs> Yeah, I, would, I would never make that. Game. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, just some people just shut it off. Anyways, all right. So he is he is disproportionately even to the obscene amount of money uh, a CEO of a similar company normally makes. He's uh, doing about five times that amount. All right, let's keep it moving. The lawsuit <laughs> Dolan is too focused on touring and recording as the frontman and guitarist for his band JD and the Straight Shot. I always thought it was straight shots. I'm not sure if that's a typo or if that's no, right. no, it is. It's just shot. It's just, it's just the shot? one. Okay, yeah. there's only there's only one other. Everyone else is like a loosey goosey shot. In 2017, the band performed 50 times in six countries and 41 U.S. cities, and that's I think the even even more so than like Dolan like kicking people out and calling them alcoholics. I, I think the band is my favorite like manifestation of his ego. But he's just so absurd. This guy who, I mean, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's a fine musician, but clearly he's not talented <laughs> enough to be playing 50 shows a year in six countries and 41 U S cities that that should not even be close to on the table. But instead he's, he's paying these professional musicians, probably more than he's paying his shareholders as it looks like um, to, to come out and perform with him in, in this, just like this exercise of, of his just absurd wealth. He's literally, he's, he created the band. I feel like he pays people to show up. I can't confirm that, but it just seems like something he would do. I, I just think it, it, it's amazing when, you, when you're that rich, you can, you can design your own world. And that's, that's just incredible. Yeah. And also the fact that he played 50 times is kind of crazy in one year. Like, I don't know how we haven't uh, gone to a show of his at this point. I remember when a friend of the pod, uh, Matthew Tonus, was in town for the, I think it was the 2017 NBA draft. We both wanted to go. And he made the show the same night as the draft, despite the Knicks having, wow. a, having a pick in that draft, if I remember correctly. Yeah, which is, uh, which is just, just gold. All right. And, and then here's, here's the best part. Here's where uh, Dolan um, essentially calls the shareholders alcoholics. He says, MSG waved the suit off as, quote, nothing more than corporate harassment in a statement. I, I thought that was just very Trumpy, just to, like just totally dismiss this thing. And like also like um, I guess I guess he didn't directly insult them, but I, I think imply an insult in it as well. So I'll give him some credit for holding back. All right. Uh, last part, the Dolan family, several of whom are MSG board members, blasted the firm filing the suit as trolls. These blank or sorry, these quote unquote law firms represent the worst in our legal system. They manufacture complaints and then advertise for clients also known as trolling. They said in a statement <laughs> to the new service agenda. So to me, and we've we made the comparison before, so I'm not breaking any ground here, but I thought this was the most um, Trump-like of, of any of this part in that they just use like a common internet term because they think that'll like ingrain them to the, to the common man. And they'll be like, oh yeah. And like the people looking at it will be like, oh, those are trolls. I hate trolls. And just side with Dolan. So I thought, I, I think, I think that is really just the cherry on top of this shit Sunday. Yeah. Also the fact that he's like calling anyone else a troll is maybe the trolliest move of his, you know, the troll never self identifies as a troll and maybe they kind of call other people uh, a troll. So this was expert move by him uh, just from his own brand perspective, I guess. That's why I always call you and Josh trolls after I troll you. You're very good at it. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's a brilliant move. Um, I'm surprised. I, I did I did kind of I was kind of frustrated that like 
he didn't call them alcoholics at any point and like and just like imply like that they were like out for a night drinking and then they were like oh they probably just threw it together when they were drunk at the bar again i was i was see them out i don't know i don't know i think he could have he could have mixed that in there anywho uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we are doing Knicks versus Nets, a, a Locked on Knicks tradition where we host the host of Locked on Nets and we challenge them. I'm happy to finally be <laughs> on the right side of that battle next on Locked on Knicks. Hiring is challenging. You know, Marcus and I both know that we don't work at uh, as full time podcasters, even though many believe we do. We actually have day jobs. But there's one place you can go where hiring is made simple, fast and smart a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. You know, ZipRecruiter sends your job posting to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands, thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job as the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights for you the top candidates, making it easy. They are so effective that 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within that first day. That is really, really good. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. I said it, Marcus, for free at the web address ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, you know the tagline, Marcus, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back in to Locked On Knicks. I am your host, Gavin Shaw. Alex has the night off, and we are with the host of Locked On Nets, Marcus Barahal, who uh, used to work at Around the Horn uh, on ESPN and the NBA, and currently works at Reward the Fan, which, Marcus, I will give you a chance to talk about before the end of this show. <laughs> we don't that, need to. <laughs> no, I really, I want to, um, because, I, because I love your boss, and I, I guess I want to support you, but mostly because I love your boss. All right, and uh, let's and, and your coworkers. I do. Shout-out to George. Shout-out to Nightwill. Um, Shout-out to Gabby. All right, uh, let's get into the Oh, and Ali Melendez, uh, reporter for the uh, Long Island Nets. Not, the, not a reporter. Well, a sideline reporter, right? No, in arena host. In arena host. She's like the the, the if you're a if you're a Nets fan out there, she's like the alley love for the Long Island Nets. Uh, okay. It's a reference well, that all your listeners get. Yeah, we, we do we do have a lot of Nets fans who listen, so that's good. I, I think I, I think I took like half the audience with me because they were they were just Gavin fans. And they're like, you right. know what? I could I could like the Knicks. That's the fine. Josh fans stayed though. Yeah, I know the Josh fans which are substantial. All right, uh, let let's get into. This. So I think I think the most pertinent question is are are you are you a Nets fan now? Because I I got that question a lot when I was coming back over, and it was almost like getting like re-ingrained to like a rival frat after leaving for the other one they were like are you are you, are you really with us and i, I would i get i get a lot of that so marcus i have to ask are you are you still with us well uh as as great as your frat analogy was i know we both have a lot of frat experience uh i am still a knicks fan uh i talk about it on the podcast the lockdown nets podcast pretty openly um but that being said i don't like dislike the nets and i think most knicks fans don't really dislike the nets it's kind of like a one-way rivalry in that way where it's like i know josh who's my co-host on locked on nets uh he like despises the knicks and i mean coming into the podcast i just thought like kind of nothing of the nets to be honest like i thought they were fine and then uh watching them it's kind of hard to root against them so i do like them a lot and they've kind of risen up my favorite team rankings and i would say that I, they're, they're probably my second favorite uh nba team right now so if it was knicks nets in like a, a conference finals or something i would still root for the knicks 
Otherwise, though, uh, I'm all in. We go hard, baby. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was always of the same opinion of you. I was like, I mean, which, which is funny, like the Knicks, I mean, uh, looking down at anyone given our recent history. But I, I was always like, the Nets, the Nets are peons. They are, they're, they're, sand, they're sandmen. I, I don't, I, I could, I could care less of the Nets. I, I don't think about the Nets. The Nick does not concern himself with the doing of the Netmen. But the Nets are on the minds of Knicks fans. I think it's just because of like all the like, incessantly like positive coverage of the Nets which to be fair is I think largely warranted and like especially like if they could have um won even one more game against the Sixers like it really would have been warranted given like Philly had the four best players in that series and I I think and I've talked about it on this podcast I've been open about this podcast I think what the Nets have done to rebuild this team from the worst situation in NBA history that I, I think if you ask like just reasonable people like you ask like a Zach Lowe type in like 2011 like or whenever whenever they made the trade like 2013 2014 um what what are the Nets gonna look like in like eight years and they they would have said they're still they're gonna be like just coming out of this like they're gonna have like two number one picks and they're gonna like finally be building something and instead like right uh, in, in the year where they get their picks back they made the playoffs and they uh they want to play off games so. Shout out to the Nets. Um, I'm surprised still by like how much I think like it annoys like Knicks fans that like the Nets get this kind of pub. All I can say is if the Knicks end up getting Kevin Durant, that'll all go away. But Marcus, I have a slightly harder version of my um, original question. Uh, just to just to test how far your Nets fandom goes. Would you prefer next season a guaranteed Nets title? They roll through the playoffs. D'Lo averages 30 a game. Joe Harris is stroking threes. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is is being a know-it-all but playing really well while doing it uh D'Lo I should have mentioned he, he got out of jail um despite oh, the boy. possession charge yeah he, he got out early so he's, he's able to play in the playoffs uh all right, everything goes well for the Nets they win a title would you prefer that or would you prefer the Knicks get Zion Williamson and keep in mind in the Nets scenario the Knicks still have their same lottery odds to get Zion so there's a chance that both could happen but I'm offering you a 100% guarantee at Zion well, when you first brought this up, I didn't think that it was going to be like this same Nets roster winning a title. I thought it was like part like part and parcel with like maybe uh, Kawhi goes there or something like oh, okay. that. Some other, but this is like, uh, I guess, like Joe Harris stepping up a level that he did not do in the playoffs. Um, yeah. That's a tough one. I this might anger some Knicks fans. I'm going to say the Nets title for oh. a couple reasons before you before you get on me. Sure. Um, if the Knicks don't get Zion, that means that they, they still have a pick two through five, which is not the worst uh, thing that could happen. They also still have free agency. They could still be getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, for all we know, in this hypothetical world. And then uh, on the more selfish side, I feel like I'd get a lot more listeners on Locked on Nets if the Nets were uh, led by D'Angelo Russell to an NBA title. So uh, <laughs> maybe just personally, I, w- I would appreciate that. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think that the Knicks' future would still be bright or possibly yeah. bright. It does pad your paycheck a little bit. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on air, but it is an ongoing conversation between me and Alex that our, our financial stability as human beings is, is somewhat contingent on Kevin Durant deciding <laughs> to come to the Knicks, which is it's, it's great to to have um, that amount of reliance on someone as reliable as Kevin Durant. So, you know, I know I know what I'm getting with him. <laughs> this, Basketball this, wise, he's very reliable. That's true. That's true. Um, Decision making wise. And again, not that. Not that he necessarily has a fiduciary obligation to me to line my pockets, but I, I would I would appreciate it if uh, if the Slim Reaper or the Servant, as he as he likes to be called, he prefers uh, that, yeah, it, yeah, the Servant is is willing to uh, to help me out. 
All right. Uh, let's let's do this. The meat of this podcast, Marcus. Uh, I assume on your computer, like me, you have up both the Knicks and Nets rosters. If you don't, I would like you to do that now. Uh, we're going to have. Ahead. I already have them up. Okay, great. Mine are mine are still loading. But we're <laughs> going to have a a draft of both teams. We're probably only going to go up to like fifteen or twenty until we get bored. But I just I kind of want to get a gauge of of these two rosters right now, and I have a feeling the top like seven or eight is going to be almost entirely Nets. But I want you to make the case for, and I'm assuming you will, for D'Angelo Russell over Mitchell Robinson at number one. Because, and and I'll, 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 I'll give you mine quickly first. I would just, I think, and we've made it so clear in this podcast that Robinson, I think, really has a chance to be a historically great NBA defensive player. He had, I mean, his rookie year after not playing college ball, third highest block rate in league history. And he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. And I, I genuinely believe he is going to turn into a Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella type when I think he even has the potential to be um, better than Capella defensively while simultaneously being maybe even a little bit more dynamic than Rudy offensively. Like, I think I, I really think his trajectory is the best version of those two guys. And D'Lo, who I love, had an incredible second half to the year, uh, does not know um, how to travel through an airport, apparently, but he he really did struggle in the playoffs, and that, that gives me a little pause with him. So Mitchell Robinson is my number one pick. Yeah, can I throw a little wrench in there? Um, Josh and I have talked about this on our podcast a little bit, but the way that Karis LeVert played in that oh. playoff series and, and coming back from his injury, which obviously was looked devastating at the time and then wound up not being as bad as it initially appeared, and he kind of he took a while, honestly, to get back into uh, the way he was playing the first 12 games of the season. But in that uh, playoff series, he was the Nets' best player, like flat out. D'Angelo Russell, uh, Josh and I talked about it, he was fine. He kind of had like, he was like one point per shot, basically. But Lavert and even Dinwiddie uh, did a good job attacking, but Lavert more so. Uh, just his ability to get into the lane kind of at will. Uh, his passing still needs to step up a little bit, but his three-pointer, uh, his three-point shot, which looked really bad when he was first coming back from injury. I think maybe he started to get his legs under him, and he hit, uh, I believe, 12 threes in the five-game series, so almost three a game, and he was really uh, kind of using that to expand his game, which is already uh, so kind of herky-jerky on his drives and just kind of crafty at the rim. And he also, the biggest thing to me is that he played uh, 42 minutes in game four, so I think it's pretty clear that he's all the way back. He's going to have this whole offseason now. And I think he's a real uh, strong candidate for like most improved next season uh, if he continues on this kind of trajectory. And we've talked about this in terms of Russell versus Robinson. I think I might uh, be with you on Robinson over Russell, but the only thing about it is that like you kind of need ball handlers more so than you need big men in today's NBA, mostly just because you're playing multiple ball handlers while you're only playing one big man at a time. So just in terms of uh, positional scarcity, I guess you'd rather have a wing or a, a ball handler uh, over a big man in a vacuum. But I do think Robinson's special on the defensive end. And if he can kind of learn to create more on offense, I guess, not necessarily uh, spacing out or even like his assist numbers, but if he can like work on little things like screening and uh, catching and finishing smoother, maybe when it's not on a dunk, then I think he can be really special. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And those are certainly areas he has to refine a little bit. I, I just think my, my whole thing with him 
is is that I, I think he's sort of unique when you talk about value amongst bigs because you look at uh, you, you look at a Rudy Gobert who occasionally against the Rockets and Warriors of the world can get played off the floor for stretches and he got he's gotten better in this area but he's just not quite mobile enough to defend on the perimeter and then you see like someone like Capella who's been getting bodied by Draymond Green and for that latter scenario that's still an area Robinson like has to get a lot bigger and uh, more physical. But I, I just think he's such a freak in terms of his lateral quickness. Like he's he's a guy who even at this point can already switch on to guards and find success. He, he he blocked more three point shots than any other player in the league. And I think it was like 17 more than the next guy who was Ben Simmons, who had only had like 22. So that's a significant difference. Um, I, I just think I just think he's kind of unique. So I would I'd still lean Robinson first, though. Karis LeVert, I, I will say, does give me some pause. So let, let's just say those are our top three. We'll say yeah, we'll for sure. To Karis one, uh, M Rob two, uh, M Rob Hubbard, uh, and then uh, <laughs> D-Lo, <laughs> the founder of Scientology, and then uh, Delo three. All right, uh, four. I'm trying to. Th- is there is there an obvious fourth? It's probably it's probably a net, right? You could you could make a case for Dinwiddie. You can sort of make a case for Joe Harris. It's it's probably it's probably Dinwiddie though, it's, right? I think I think it's kind of clearly Dinwiddie. I think he's the most polished of like anyone who's left, and also. I think he still has room to improve uh, defensively. He's got good size, and he plays well when he's locked in. And, uh, yeah, I think it was interesting because the Nets, like, extended him first, and then uh, D'Lo kind of, like, exploded, and then Levert exploded in the playoffs. And so Dinwiddie got a little bit forgotten, but he uh, he's, like, kind of owned the Sixers, and he was able to get where he wanted. So I think he's still really valuable to a team, uh, either off the bench or starting. Right. And then I'm um, I'm I'm in total agreement with that. I mean, he's he, he just has he, he just has some real moments. Like and and I remember you and I, uh, thanks to your and Josh's generosity, were at uh, Game Three of the Nets Sixers series, and he he just had that run late in the third quarter where he brought them all the way back, got the four point play, made a couple of ridiculous shots. Where he he's just he's just so unfazed by whatever stage he's on. He, the the game in Houston earlier in the year where he was going toe to toe with James Harden when Harden was in the peak of his run. And I, I guess my only question with him would be, is there is there another level there? And can he sort of reach what the, the peaks he's shown with some more consistency? And I don't know if he necessarily has that, but the Knicks roster is so bereft right now. I still think right. he's, he's pretty clearly uh, number four in that equation. All right. For number five, again, you'd still you'd lean towards a Jared Allen or a Joe Harris, though. I think this is where you could start mixing in an Alonzo Trier or a Kevin Knox purely based on upside. I think I think I'd go Jared Allen, who's who still had a nice postseason, but I'm 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 really I'm very tempted by Trier. I think I think just for the the sake of uh, my life is locked on Nick's host and <laughs> there the fans are currently amassing pitchforks outside uh, my apartment building where the address I will disclose uh, to anyone who's interested in uh, in protesting. Um uh, I think I think I have to go Alonzo Trier. And and I'll say this that he he shocked me in terms of how good of a shooter he was this year and just how complete of a scorer that he is. And I, I was so convinced that his early season success was a mirage. And, and he came back from injury and was, was like one of the for like a month was like the least efficient score in basketball. And I was like, okay, I was right. Like this is the guy was undrafted for a reason. And then over the last couple months of the season, like a 40 plus percent three point shooter was hitting nearly 50% of his twos improved as a passer and, and was just such a diverse scorer. And, and obviously he's a little older at 22 and he's not totally there yet, but I, I, I have enough concerns about Allen's game and, and Harris, I, I love to death, but he's just a bit older that I think I can justify going with Alonzo Trier here. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And it, it's kind of uh, like a poor man's version of what we were talking about earlier with Mitchell Robinson and uh, either Russell or Levert, where you kind of do want that guard over the center, all things else being equal. And Jared Allen, uh, Josh and I have said that he was kind of like overhyped a little bit because of all the highlight blocks and big dunks, but uh, he stepped up in the playoffs. And when Ed Davis got hurt, the Nets didn't really have any centers on their roster who were healthy besides Jared Allen. And obviously Embiid was hampered, so it was like a little bit easier than it would have been. But he did a great job defensively digging in and just kind of selling out and really just giving his whole uh, like physical body, like taking elbows to the face multiple times. Um, but he does need to work on his hands, his finishing, his touch on offense, and then also just conditioning and being able to play more than like 30 minutes in a do-or-die playoff game. So I definitely still have concerns about him. And I agree with you on Trier, where I was completely surprised by how kind of effortless his scoring was. And he that just translated like right away. Like there was no real uh, learning curve for him. And I think he, at worst, has a future as like that six-man off-the-bench type. Like maybe a Lou Williams if he can work on his passing a little bit more. But uh, he's definitely explosive. Yeah, that's fine. Lou, Lou Will's the comp we've made in the past. All right, so let's just... Uh, let's I'm a loyal slot. listener, so... Yeah, <laughs> let's slot in... <laughs> we appreciate that. Let's slot in a Trier at, at five, uh, Allen at six, and then seven is in... I, I think I, I tend to go towards Joe Harris, who's just, like, so, so solid, and I, I genuinely... I, I think he's going to have, like, like, an ins- like, which is just insane, given, like, how he was regarded when he was coming into the league and like, Cleveland, like, traded him to Orlando, and he got hurt, and he was, like, immediately cut before he even, like, got to Orlando and and I really think the guy is going to have like a 15 16 year career like I, I think he is going to be like a Kyle Korver type and and maybe even someone who like at age 30 just like unexpectedly like makes an all-star team or something just because he's that committed to self-improvement and, and a, a dude who I mean I, I know I always cited this stat on locked on nets last year like I think it was it was tradition that I said it once an episode where he was one of the best finishers in the NBA and for a long stretch was the best finisher in the NBA just over LeBron James whenever he went to the basket this year he became one of the top two or three three-point shooters in the NBA led the league in three-point shooting for long stretches of this season so he, he's awesome and then you contrast that with someone like Kevin Knox who's like six years younger just super duper raw um, couldn't really do much else besides scoring had long stretches where he was very bad at scoring as well and yet you still see those tantalizing flashes there like the transition bursts where he, he goes and dunks on someone uh, a jump shot that looks very very solid um, I, I think there was just a little bit too much inconsistency from Knox, and I'd have to take Harris ahead of him. But I'm kind of I'm interested to hear your take on that because to me, it's, it's do you want a solid role guy or someone who I think at this point, and, and it's crazy because I think halfway through the year I said I thought he had a better than 50 percent chance to eventually be an all star. Now I'd go like it's like 50 percent chance he's just like not very good, um, like 20, like 30 percent chance he's like a very strong role player. And, you know, I'll revise that. I'll say, I'll say 40 bad, 40 role player, like 20, he's good to a star. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's like the classic debate of do you want a guy who you know is like solidly pretty good or do you want the guy who could be great or could be terrible? And with Joe Harris, it was ironic because he was really bad in the Philly series. He like couldn't hit a shot. But throughout the season, he was one of the most consistent guys on the Nets. Obviously, he won the three-point contest. And like you said, his finishing like wasn't really talked about, but he's like kind of a lead at that. Uh, the one thing that he has to work on is that in-between game because uh, last year he was kind of doing a lot of pump fakes and drives, and that's how he got to the basket so easily and finished uh, at such a high clip. And then this year, uh, teams were more aware of that, and so they kind of forced him into those little floaters and runners 
and the mid-range shots, which he wasn't as effective at. Maybe he's not as natural uh, of a shooter in that respect where he can't necessarily take it in uh, like J.J. Reddick can, where you pump fake, take the dribble, take a step in, and hit that like 20-footer, 18-footer uncontested. So he does still have like things he can work on and improve on, and he's like a decent defender uh, for his size. But with Kevin Knox, the potential is so high that, I mean, it kind of just depends on your team. Like for the Nets, I think Joe Harris is better. And for the Knicks, I think Kevin Knox is better just because if you're the Knicks, you want that upside. You want the big swings. And if you're the Nets, you want a guy who will be playing for you in the playoffs kind of regardless and will contribute uh, to winning basketball. I'll say this much. I think if the Knicks got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I would, and I don't, I don't know if the Nets would do this, but I, I would, I trade Kevin Knox for Joe Harris in a second, which I think is might 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 get me fired. But I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I love Joe Harris. I just I think he's a bad. He's great. He's a great guy. He's he's just a, he's I, a long distance girlfriend in England. He's got a big beard. That's amazing. That's I remember he was he was talking about that in the low post, like exactly right. girlfriend in England. I was like, how do, how do, why do you know that? But uh, I don't know. Yeah. He's he, he's he's just great, and I love like even even when he wasn't hitting shots in the Sixers series, he was still making stuff happen. Oh, he's uh, like a really underrated rebounder, also. Yeah, he was like really scrapping down low. He just makes plays. I don't know. I yeah. I would I might move Joe Harris might like secretly be like number two on the list for me. I just I, <laughs> I, I can't say that for credibility's sake. All right, so we got Lavert, Mitch, D'Lo, Dinwiddie, Freer, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Kevin Knox. All right, uh, so we're up to number nine, and am I? I'll, I'll ask you this. Am I being dismissive of uh, Rodion's Karutz and what he did as a rookie? Because I think you could say, like, objectively, like, he had a better year than Kevin Knox did. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that is probably true, but I still don't know if his ceiling is as high. I think he's... I think I know what Rodion's Karutz is. Josh and I talked about on our last podcast where he could become, like, an Ilyasova type, like a stretch four who's kind of just long and if he can work on his outside shot, that is. Because it was falling a lot earlier in the year, and it just he couldn't hit anything uh, down the stretch. But his length is really unique, and he has these like long strides that he takes, and he almost jumps more horizontally than vertically, and that kind of allows him to create space uh, on drives when it seems like he doesn't have any. The thing with him is he's kind of overeager in terms of uh, fouling on the defensive end, and then uh, he kind of forces shots if he doesn't feel like he's getting them in the rhythm of the offense. So he... I don't know. I feel like I know more what he is than I know what Knox is. And maybe that's just from watching it more. I don't know. Right. No, I'm, 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 I'm with that. And I actually just looked it up. I didn't realize he was 21 already. I kind of thought he was like the same age. So I think I think that's a pretty good indicator yeah. that I'd rather have Knox. And Knox certainly is higher upside. And like Karutz, as solid as he is, he's not quite good enough that you can you can make that flip like a Joe Harris um, where, you, where you just want to take stability over um, ceiling. Right. So I'm, I'm with you on that and then I guess the debate would be um, crew roots against uh, Damian Dotson, who I think may be getting no Jared little... Dudley. Uh, he's he's up there. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, he's maybe getting a little bit underplayed in this conversation. Who I, I think I mean, just given the the kind of shitstorm of a team that he was in this year, um, he actually had a really good season: eleven points, four rebounds per game, shot forty-two percent from the field, not that good. 37% from three, very solid. 75% from the charity stripe. And, and really, um, he, made, he made a Zach Lowe uh, 10 things I like and don't like really develop as, as sort of a, a, like a mini creator, like could, could take a couple dribbles um, after getting run off the three-point line. Occasionally would finish around the basket, would throw some smart passes out to the perimeter. Um, not 
quite as good defensively as what his reputation was coming out of school and what people thought he could be, but he certainly has a lot of potential on that side. And I think surrounded by other good defenders, um, he could kind of fit into that mold. And I, I sort of, I, I mean, he's, he's 24 already, but I, I do, I do kind of wonder if there is a chance for him on a really good team to become like kind of a Joe Harris light, someone who could really stroke it from three, play some good defense and just make really solid plays in a complimentary role. And I guess compared to someone like Karuts, who's three years younger, you'd have to bank on Karuts, who also is like a little bit more size and like a showing off similar shooting ability. But I think, I think Dotson would slot in pretty comfortably as the 10th guy on this list. Yeah. I, I honestly completely forgot about him. And then when you brought him up, I was like, Oh yeah, I, I love Damian Dotson. Um, he's got a nice game. I like his three point shot. If that can be legit this year, cause he only shot 32% obviously on limited attempts his first year. And then, he bumped it up to close to 37% uh, this past year. That's obviously big. Uh, it's just more about diversifying his offense, I think. Like what we talked about with Joe Harris with his finishing, uh, just having like a counter kind of when teams close out hard on you. And Dotson only got to the line about one time per game in uh, 27 and a half minutes, which is not great. Uh, obviously, he's not like on the ball as much as uh, some other guys on the Knicks are. Uh, so there's definitely still areas he can improve to kind of become more well-rounded offensively and more solid. And then defensively, like you said, I think he probably was a little bit overhyped before he came in. I remember people were talking about him like like Shumpert was before his injury, uh, and obviously both 21, so uh, number-wise. So that's a a nice little coincidence there. But I do, I like him, and I I think he's going to be in the league for a little while. Yeah, I'm 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 100 with that. All right, I think I'm okay wrapping it up at 10 because the rest of the guys aren't that exciting. I will I will give quick uh, mentions just because I think we're going to get asked about it if we don't. To Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina, and I, I have them off this list for opposite reasons. Uh, Dennis, I think, based on the merits of his play and his ability, probably you could make an argument like he, he should maybe be in here because of his upside. But I will just say I, I really dislike Dennis Smith Jr. as a player. And I think I like I like tiptoed around that a lot during the season because I was like trying to put my finger on it. And I was like, why isn't this guy better? And I just wanted <laughs> the classic situations like where like you a great athlete, um, someone who's like jump shot, like isn't totally broken. Like I actually think like kind of gets underplayed and is like a smart passer. But he really he really has Jeff Green syndrome where like it's like all these tools, all these flashes. And, and it takes you it takes you forever. You're always you're always tantalized by it. And you get one of those dunks a game. You get one of those smart passes a game. You get like one game where he hits a few threes in a row. You get the one game where he gets 19 free throws. And, and you're always wondering, you're like, wait, why isn't why isn't like the whole as good as the sum of the parts? And it's, it's Jeff Green syndrome. And I've accepted that with Dennis Smith Jr. I've I pinned it on him early enough. I will not get sucked in now nor ever. So I, I think because of that, I had to keep him on my top ten. And while Frank is the total opposite, where he has none of the production, he has none of the merits, and yet I, I just I love, love him. him. I, I love him irrationally. So I, I want I want to put him on this list, but I can't justify it. So Dennis Smith and Frank off it for uh, opposite reasons. That's fair. And then just to to circle around that same point from the Nets perspective, uh, shout out to Alan Crabb, who's a great shooter, but uh, definitely is overpaid and. Uh, probably isn't going to add much to his game. He was hitting a lot of shots before he got hurt, though. And also Ed Davis, who is too old to be on this list, but is very solid and uh, can kind of play on any team. I will say, I think, 
I think you you just missed out on being scarred by Alan Crabby's last season was <laughs> by 2017-18 was like traumatic. And then in like the 10 games where I was still doing the Nets one before you took over, he, he was like he's literally like the worst basketball player I've ever seen. Like I think he was shooting like 26 percent from the field, like 13 percent from a three. And it, it legitimately like I felt bad for him. Like it was really like it almost looked like what happened with Markel Fultz. It looked like he forgot how to play basketball, which given how much money. He, he was getting paid was uh, less than ideal. But so yeah, I, yeah. I remember when I took over the pod, I think he hit like five of eight threes over the course of it, like the first two games when I took over. And I was like, oh, this guy's great. And Josh is like, we need to trade him immediately. Like, this is the <laughs> highest his value will be. Yeah. <laughs> he like, I could see Josh like turning off the recording and he's like, we, we can't let anyone know that he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't doing this well beforehand. Sean Marks is listening. Alan Crabb is great. Trade him. <laughs> All right, with that, we will wrap up segment number two. We'll come back with some rapid-fire questions for our third and final segment. Welcome back. Third and final time on this edition of Locked On Knicks with Locked On Nets' Marcus Barahal. To wrap up your week, we are going to finish up with some rapid-fire. So, Marcus, some of these questions are probably flawed in that. Like, I think they do require some real thinking. But uh, you you have a pretty, pretty quick mind. You, you won our... Uh, our fantasy draft game, though, uh, due to my interference at the end, I, I ensured you didn't get the number one pick. Uh, we would do, a, just to clarify for the people listening, we do a very convoluted series of events, uh, both uh, mainly mental, but uh, some involving uh, backstabbing, uh, to determine the order of our uh, League of Leagues or Shared Fantasy Football and Basketball League. And it probably does require more detail and explanation, but I'm not I'm inclined to give it right now. So without further ado, uh, let's get into this. Some rapid-fire questions for you, Marcus. All right, uh, who's your second favorite prospect in this year's NBA draft? Oh, good question. Um, probably John Morant. Uh, that's, like, the easy answer. But I do... Uh, think he's super explosive and oh man, I just realized I, I could have said Zion Williamson and really just blown your mind. But I'll I'll I'll, I'll stick with John Morant. Without without going into it further, so you, your uh, your house doesn't get egged. Uh, you you do have a uh, Zion Williamson is big Dennis Smith Jr. Ta- Jr. take, which I yeah. part of me wanted to do like a full segment on that, but I also I didn't I didn't want any repercussions, so I decided. I just, I just want to say on that, one hundred percent. I I think he. I don't, not not to back away from my take. I, I, I think he'll be great. Uh, but a big part of that take was just trying to zig, you know, when everyone else is zagging. So uh, I saw just universal praise for Zion, and I thought, no one's in this lane. Let me uh, let me hop into it and just see where it takes me. I I can appreciate that. Sure. I don't th- I don't think any other Knicks fan will, unless they don't get the number one pick. Then I, I think we might have you back on to like like right. do forty minutes on it and just like really like talk people off the ledge because they're going to need it. All right. Uh, second question: what, What's your favorite spice? And I don't mean like like network like spice, like like oh you know uh, uh, the Kardashians and Tristan Thompson. I'm I'm literally asking what is your what is your favorite spice to add to food? Oh, interesting. Um, uh, I have this Himalayan pink salt. I don't know if that's a spice, but it's really good. Where'd you? What 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 made you get that? So uh, a couple years ago, when I was interning at Around the Horn, actually, uh, there was this food truck, and it was uh, Chef Jose Andres' food truck, and they had these uh, chips that came with your sandwich, and they were Himalayan pink salt chips. Ever since then, I was was into the stuff, and I found some, and my local grocery store decided to cop, and uh, it's great. I'm, I'm a big fan. Wow, this is good. We spend a lot of time in our day-to-day life together. We talk almost every day, and I, I didn't know that. So, You had no clue. 
Locked on Knicks. What a, what a, what a place. There's a lot of layers to me. Sure. All right. Okay. Here's here's another loaded one. Uh, what is your favorite um, play ever? Like not not Broadway. Uh, basketball play. And this can be um, this could be in the NBA. This could be in college, or this could be in a pickup game you've had in your life. And something you did. Something you saw someone else do. It can it can be literally anything. Okay. Like a specific play, not like a type of play. Yeah. yeah a specific play. Not okay. Like a- um. I, I, I'm not sure which play you want me to say, but I'm going to just go with my gut here. Uh, we were playing full court uh, in the courts by your house, and I had a, a behind the back right to left, and then a behind the back the other way left to right. Sure. Picked the ball up, switched it to my left hand, and threw a, a pinpoint pass to our, our good friend Josh Bass in the corner who knocked down the three. And uh, I think that put us, I believe, a point away from game, and it was just a a beautiful play. They kind of tried to tried to trap me on the pick and roll. I believe our friend Jeremy, or not Jeremy, uh, Schechter, shouts to Schechter. I think he might have set a pick there or something, something where they trapped me, and I, I, I flung the pass to Josh with my offhand. So, uh, gonna give props to myself there. And then, other other than that, LeBron's block on Iguodala. Josh is involved in my my two favorite basketball plays ever. I think that that one and and the other one that you know about, where uh, you guys traveled to visit me in in college when I was at Arizona State. And Josh uh, threw an alley-oop to a college friend of the show, uh, who, who I want to come on this summer when he's going to be in New York, uh, Tyler Prime, uh, my, my original uh, radio co-host. Uh, uh, shout out to the bench mob uh, at Arizona State. Uh, he, th- he threw a lob to Tyler, and uh, Tyler put it in, and it allowed the New Yorkers to beat the non-New Yorkers in a pick-up basketball game. And that was just, just amazing. There's uh, a true unity it- between Knicks and Nets fans, by the way. That was great. And we're, we're officially doing the uh, Bill Simmons and Joe House thing where we pretend <laughs> to care about our, our pickup lives. Which, but they see, love it. And I, can I just say, like, secretly, like, that's, like, my I, I'm, I'm always dying for more. Whenever, like, Bill Simmons talks about his pickup game, like, I really, like, I always, I, I cannot get enough of that. Like, I want to hear more details. I want to know more about the UCLA runs. I want to know more about Joe House running pick and pops or David Jacoby playing with Jalen Rose. I really, I, I get I get a lot out of that. So I think... I, I, I hope people got the same enjoyment out of this. If you All like right. it, let us know. Right. <laughs> Which I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure people won't. Um, <laughs> next question. Uh, and I'll make this a little harder. Uh, you, you can make one NBA player president. Who is it and why? And I'm going to say you can't say LeBron. Because he's, I guess he'd be the go-to answer for, for most people. Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't actually know if I would have said LeBron. Um, my gut instinct is to say Jared Dudley. I That's think he... <laughs> I think he can do it all. I think he obviously has a ton of intelligence and savvy and can kind of lead our country uh, without needing to like demand the spotlight or anything like that. He's kind of fine doing the the gritty work and maybe talking to representatives or, or people from small towns, things like that. So I think he'd get out and do the work. And uh, at the same time, he is a great character, colorful guy uh, and and a real sweetheart. You know, he gives away tickets on his Twitter to, to Nets fans. He He's embraced New York, even though he's only been here for one year. So uh, shout out to him. Uh, Jared Dudley is my pick. Who's I, yours, by the way, if I can turn this around? Yeah, sure. I, I will. Before I answer that, I'm just going to throw in the qualifier that I love Jared Dudley. Uh, I, I consider him a friend for the uh, five months or so. I covered him in Phoenix, where I'm not sure if he learned my name, but I hope that he did. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I would be concerned that after the Sixers series, he would just immediately declare war on Cameroon and then start just an international disaster uh, based on his interactions with Joel Embiid uh, throughout the series. Um, great question. Uh, I feel inclined to go with a Nick because you went with 
a net. Um, as much as I like dislike him as a basketball player, I think Emmanuel Moody would be pretty good. Just seems like a chill dude. Yeah. Uh, Frank and Frank, I'm tempted by, but I just think I think he'd get like bowled over by Putin. Like I think he's he's a little bit too much of a sweetheart. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Lance Thomas, just purely yeah. on is that I think he he must be just like the best dude ever because if not he he wouldn't be in the NBA even even on the Knicks. So I'm going I'm going with Lance Thomas uh, based on that. All right, uh, let's keep it moving. Few more. Um, if you could reverse the results of one playoff series in NBA history, which one would it be and why? So any any series doesn't have to involve the Knicks, doesn't have to involve the Nets. You could just flip which team won. Um, I'm going to say Houston Golden State from last year. I agree. I, I, I just didn't I didn't want Chris Paul to get hurt and for them to go out like that. And then this year seems like it's maybe going uh, dramatically in the same direction as it did last year. So I, I felt like that was their chance and it hurt me. As a last Warriors year. hater, yeah, I'm I'm so with it. It was last year was heartbreaking because I really like if, if Chris had stayed healthy, it seemed like they had them, and even even with that, it still kind of seemed like they had them. And it was just it was I would compare it to Infinity War, and I know we we talk a lot about Marvel in this movie, so people probably just turned tuned out at this point. But it was it was similar where you, like you throw everything you have at the bad guy, you just sort of need like one more thing to break your way, and it just it just didn't happen. But uh, the Avengers got revenge. Maybe Houston will, too. All right. Uh, last question. If you could take a skill from one player in the NBA and add it to your own game, what would it be and why? <laughs> um, I'm going to say uh, John Collins's athleticism. Okay. Just because like, I, that's just absurd. Like, if, if yeah. like for the listeners out there, I'm a, a 5'11". Uh, very skinny uh, young man. So if I just came out and I was like throwing down windmill dunks, I think that would be great. And obviously uh, pretty uh, useful in pickup, I would say. Yeah, I would. My my instinct is to go Steph shooting just because that would be awesome. But I'm already a pretty good shooter. And I think teams can and I, and I have and as you know, as a longtime participant, co-participant of mine in pickup games, like I, I do have games where I get like really hot and I'll hit like four threes in a row. The issue is I'm so slow that despite being <laughs> like five or six inches taller than everyone else, if if teams like just take take a second to recognize me as a threat, which and it does because I look I look relatively unintimidating. It does it does take me hitting like five or six threes for teams to start playing defense on me. And then they can stop me immediately because they can just keep up with me. So I would say Kyrie Irving's handle because if I could just Ooh. that would be. And also that I think that's the most fun pickup skill because like like the games go so quickly. Like if you just make like four threes in a row every time, people would like people would respect you, right? Like they'd be like they'd be like, oh that guy's really good. Like oh you you better cover him. You like you got to chase him around and like and like there'd be like that one guy like in the corner would be like yeah like, yeah that guy's that guy's kind of a badass. Like he's he's pretty cool and you you'd have everyone's respect. But you wouldn't like have their admiration like you would if you had Kyrie Irving's handle. And there's like there's no better feeling than people watching you during a pickup game. And if you're just like clowning another team, especially like a team that like like on paper looks like they should beat you, um, it, 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 that's as good as it gets. And I think having Kyrie's handle would be like most conducive to that. That's a good call, actually. I think like the crossing someone up is like the single best thing you can do in a pickup game. Yeah. That being said, if you could, if you like could just dunk on people that would be that'd be pretty good too yeah I, I guess i just went for like pure uh let's try to win efficiency <laughs> that's good I, I admire it all right marcus before we send you out uh, anything to plug obviously you are the host of locked on nets 
Uh, you also work for Reward the Fan, a, sure. uh, in a trivia game show that I love. Uh, so any, any anything you want to talk about? Sure. Uh, Locked on Nets is a great podcast. If you like Gavin, uh, you'll probably like me and Josh. We're, we're good friends, so we have a lot of uh, similarities, I'll say. Even if you're not a Nets fan, uh, or yeah, even if you're not a Nets fan, give it a listen. Um, and if you are a Nets fan, why are you listening to Locked on Knicks and not Locked on Nets? That's kind of weird. So uh, just hop over. No judgment. Josh and I get a little freaky sometimes in segment three. You know, we let we throw caution to the wind, I'll say. All right. All right. Love to hear it. All right. That was Marcus Bearhall. Thanks a lot for coming on, Marcus. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We will be back early next week with Alex. So be sure to stay tuned for that.